0: The concept of disease is something you and I are quite aware of, but we can't specifically define what it is. Definitions are dynamic, flimsy, if you will, and our perspective on what constitutes as a disease is constantly evolving. Take obesity, for example. It was officially declared a disease by the American Medical Association in 2013, and the idea was to reduce social stigma and raise awareness of its complexity. But did that actually work? Well, to find out, first we have to ask, what is disease? Eyes wide open, mind racing with existential questions and every mildly embarrassing thing you've done in your life. Oh, fellow overthinker, I understand. But don't worry, I'm here to talk to you about it. I'll indulge the overthinking. I know there's some existential questions about science and health that are keeping you awake at night. But they don't have to be. I, Mim, student nutritionist and medical writer, will be coming on here every Monday to talk to experts like Dr. Giles Yeo, Dr. Raghav Sharma, and Nina Abed to answer those big questions that you and I have. And that will be season four the big questions. Now, let's get on to this episode in joy i'll be honest defining disease is something that can be quite biological but also philosophical you will know that philosophy is really not my thing but it's really important into understanding how we approach disease last week we talked about defining health and spoiler alert it isn't just the absence of disease but it would be a lie to say that disease isn't a huge part of feeling healthy let's even take a look at the word itself We can separate into two pieces, dis and ease. We've got dis, which would imply a lack of, and then we have ease, which I think is quite self-explanatory. From the word itself, we can see that disease is being in the state of unease or having the lack of ease. The question then comes down to what do we mean by unease? Because a lot of things can feel uneasy, right? Like, for example, I have a headache and obviously that is causing me discomfort. Does that now mean that I'm suffering from a quote disease? Do I now put that on the same level as, I don't know, gonna be super dramatic here, but cancer? The answer might seem obvious, but it's still an interesting question and might be less obvious than you think. It's something a lot of people have given thought to and then leads to what factors contributes to classifying a disease, if you will. Now, there are two or I guess technically three schools of thought when it comes to figuring out what a disease is. One has a little bit of a biological explanation, one has a bit of a emotive explanation, and the last one is a bit of a hybrid approach. So the biological definition is something that naturalists would follow, so it's naturalism. And it's based on the idea that disease is solely a deviation away from normal biological functioning. So naturally understanding or defining what normal functioning is very, very integral, very important to seeing if there's some validity to this school of thought. This is where it can get difficult. We have huge biological diversity and coming to a consensus as to what is normal functioning is really up for argument, right? I mean... Obviously, your dog, for example, has a different biological functioning than like the cactus that's sitting on my window ledge. But how do we define what's normal between members of the same species, for example, between you and I? I'm referencing carnatus.org here. One example they give is sleep, which I think is like a fantastic example. And to be honest, something that is very close to home right now. So a typical advice for an adult is to sleep seven to nine hours a night and recently I've been getting well under five. While a lack of sleep isn't going to harm me necessarily right now, this lack of sleep absolutely impacts my concentration during the day and it reduces some of the important processes that happen during the night. And yeah it's also just like not very fun. (laughs) Try being on five hours of sleep and not having any caffeinated drinks because I don't drink coffee or tea. Anyway this isn't a self-pity episode but you know, it's hitting close right now. Anyway, technically I'm functioning, but it is a deviation from normal functioning, right? And that normal functioning here is, you know, getting those seven to nine or, well, if you want to be specific, getting that eight hours of sleep. I want to make it crystal clear that a traditional naturalist perspective would not even consider these negative connotations that i just told you that's just me lecturing you a little bit they would just see it as this is a deviation from what's normal and then automatically consider it a disease on the flip side you have the normative approach and this considers disease as a function of our values which sounds a bit Like, what does that mean? But I think it makes some sense. I'll let me get into it. So if we view a health condition negatively, then it's considered a disease in this school of thought. Rather than considering normal functioning on a biological level, it's more about how a certain society thinks that we should function. And then a deviation from that is considered disease. There's very little biological consideration here, if any at all. If we go back to that sleep example, a society like the UK would view, you know, being able to function on less sleep as a fantastic thing, right? We, we always want to optimise our productivity and if we can function on less hours of sleep, then that seems to be a good thing because look at how many more hours of the day you have um, that you can get stuff done in. So this would then not classify this lack of sleep. As a disease and this attitude is very different from the naturalist approach and it's in spite of knowing the negative impacts of the lack of sleep so i think that's also quite an interesting i guess comparison between the two none of them really consider the actual negative impacts that a certain condition might be having but rather than but rather consider whether it's a deviation from in the case of the naturalist whether it's a deviation from normal functioning or in the case of the normative it's the perception of normal functioning which is just very you would think that when you're classifying disease the consequences would also be considered anyway the issue with this definition is more ethical and related to how kind of inflexible it can be So this kind of thinking can lead to something like homosexuality being eternally viewed as a disease. And once upon a time it was. It was considered a disease I think until 1971 in the US or maybe 1977. Something like that. And the way it does that is because homosexuality for example is perceived as something that's a deviation from the perception of normal. And technically there's a moral consideration as to whether we can judge societies for what they consider to be you know normal or not normal so an outside society wouldn't be able to come in and say hey actually homosexuality isn't bad you shouldn't look at it like this that's kind of a moral dilemma that i'm not going to get into but that just means that that specific society that views homosexuality as a negative deviation from the norm would always view it like that and it cannot be changed because there is no outside force to go and change that. There's a lot of ethical considerations about perception because also another thing is that perceptions are consistently changing so how do we keep up with that? Another criticism is that if there is a condition that has any debate about whether it's positive or negative that cannot therefore be considered a disease because there isn't a societal negative view about it there's a societal disagreement and that's (laughs) you know that also leads to interesting dilemmas another example given by Carneids.com is vaccines now obviously vaccines temporarily cause our immune systems to ramp up and produce antibodies etc etc and that is a deviation away from normal functioning and perceived normal functioning, I should say, but it also protects us against disease long term. Do we therefore view vaccines as negative or positive? And if there is disagreement about that, and trust me, there definitely is, (laughs) um, in the normative framework, you can't go and classify vaccines as a disease, but you also cannot rule it out. There is a hybrid approach that tries to fill in the gaps of what the other perspective may have missed. No fancy name, but generally there's an idea to allow for exceptions where a proposed disease might not have a strict deviation from biological normal functioning, nor a negative perceived value. This could be more helpful in classifying psychological issues like depression, but obviously jury's still out. The thing is, like health, our thoughts on what counts as a disease is constantly changing. Honestly, they overlap quite a lot in the sense that what we view as healthy has changed and our expectations of our own health generally have also increased. With this, there are more things that are now considered diseases like osteoporosis now osteoporosis is an interesting one if you don't know what it is it's the weakening of the bones such that they're so brittle that they can break easily previously before 1994 it was considered a normal part of aging but after that the who world health organization pathologized it and it's now considered a disease in some ways this is great right Once something is classed as a disease, typically more money is poured into research and treatments relating that can then also be reimbursed across different healthcare systems. It also acts as a way to legitimise any symptoms that someone might be facing, right? Practically, it seems very helpful. But, and this is where it gets a little bit grey for me, it might be a bit challenging for one day to accept that you were considered normal and ageing normally, for example, and therefore... You know, relatively healthy. And then the next day, you're considered ill and therefore unhealthy. I don't know. That's something that would really trip me out. And it's partly the reason why I'm so careful not to pathologize different behaviors, right? I'm sure you're sick of me saying, I'm not pathologizing, but in the last few seasons, I rinsed that line out a lot. Regardless, we have a lot of things that are considered diseases. And that fine line between what's considered a quote-unquote real disease and just human characteristics we don't like is becoming blurred. And it's increasingly influenced by society's perceptions, of course, scientific research and new developments. And perhaps more cynically, as suggested by Jackie Sully, papers in the show notes, in response to the drug industry's involvement in the medical sciences. I don't know how much I agree with the idea that we're creating new diseases or I guess classifying conditions as diseases to match drug development. Mainly because drug development is super expensive. It's ridiculously expensive and it's very long. It's usually also incredibly unrewarding. But I can see how pathologizing disease in theory would be beneficial to Big Pharma. So where have we now gotten to in terms of defining a disease? Well, we have this concept of disease entity, where diseases are classified into these little neat groups or entities. And that disease group or entity is classed or classified based on the symptoms that you have. This works really well on things like infectious diseases, because usually there's a clear cause and effect situation. Like, for example, you catch the flu and then you have a fever. So you can take a good guess that you have the flu. But this also works in being able to reclassify diseases based on new information that's come out, which is great. That's that's always what we want. We want something dynamic. Where it works less well is non communicable diseases, and that's diseases that you can't catch or spread, and ones that tend to be very multifactorial, so you have loads of different causes. Examples of those would be type 2 diabetes and obesity. I'll be the first to say that the AMA was actually quite slow in classing obesity as a disease in 2013. I believe there was a push to do so since the 90s. Um, There was the National Institutes of Health that declared obesity a disease in 1998. There was the American Obesity Society that declared it in 2008. There's a lot of eights here, isn't there? That's quite funny to me. Anyway, it's important to say that this is very USA specific. And I think Portugal also considers obesity a disease. But here in the UK, it's seen more of a lifestyle issue rather than a disease state. To be honest, even the WHO doesn't call it a disease either, but rather a condition. Now, why did the AMA go and take this decision. Obesity was, and still is, seen as an individual lifestyle failing and is so tied to things like self-confidence and morality. It's not uncommon to scroll on TikTok and find comments about how a certain creator is gluttonous because they are in a larger body. If you're still not convinced, hang on because next week I have an episode with Dr. Giles Yo, who is an obesity researcher from the University of Cambridge, and we talk about all of this. Um, so stay tuned for that. And side note, I think it's very interesting how religious language and beliefs are used to play into this morality issue surrounding obesity. But that's a conversation that I will definitely stay out of. <laughs> anyway, it's undeniable that we still see obesity as a fault of an individual person and simple physics it's calories in versus calories out why is it so difficult there's a huge lack of empathy towards people with obesity because as a society we have a very punishing attitude i.e you did this to yourself it's your fault you should suffer from the consequences of your own actions It's quite harsh and I don't think this type of thinking would be there if we were talking about something like heart disease or diabetes, but that's generally where we're at. So the thinking behind classing obesity as a disease is that it shifts both public perception and scientific slash medical priorities. That would mean that scientists can get more funding for their research, medical professionals could legitimize the impacts of obesity to their patients, and the public could be educated on and be receptive to learning about the factors that cause obesity. In theory, this was probably a good move that would lead to more benefits than disadvantages. In reality, I'm not really sure that it's changed much socially. I even wonder if it's worsened attitudes rather than improved. From the beginning, the fat acceptance movement and health at every size were opposed to classifying obesity as a disease because they thought it would lead to a war on obesity, leading to what they would essentially say a war on fat people. And this is akin to something like the war on drugs. And well, that didn't turn out so great. I'll be honest, it's hard to determine whether this weight discrimination, fat shaming or anything close to a war on fat people Increased after the AMA's announcement, mainly because terms like fat shaming were really not mainstream before 2012, and public attitudes have shifted, but the response is very mixed. The goal was to shift the public view that obesity was an individual choice to, hey, this is a legitimate, complex medical condition that is influenced by things like genetics, class, socioeconomic background, etc. Instead, while the public have a better understanding of obesity, it's still predominantly seen as a lifestyle disease that's caused by too much food and not enough working out. Interestingly also, there seems to be a shift towards viewing obesity as a community problem rather than an individual choice. Honestly, I can't give you an explanation for that one. So if you have any thoughts, please give me a DM or something and we can definitely chat about it. On top of that, while it does seem that people understand that fat shaming is just not nice, in the US anyway, the Obesity Action Coalition actually found that people felt more discomfort around people with obesity. To be honest, an interesting point brought up in an episode of Maintenance Phase was that attitudes were superficially shifted. The general attitude shifted from, oh, you don't look good because you're fat, to, oh, I'm just concerned about your health. To me, that disease classification sounded like a way that many people legitimized their biases against people with obesity. Now, do I have empirical data to support this? No, I don't. But it's difficult to measure and, you know, I'm making do with the best that I have. Now, how did this classification impact science and medicine? In my opinion, it looks quite positive. Treatment options increased, the FDA developed a way better framework to evaluate the effectiveness of these treatments, obesity education also increased and now more physicians are choosing to take the relevant exams to be accredited in obesity research. I can't say that obesity research itself has been hugely impacted because of course there are loads of other factors that could have played a role. Actually, even in 1998, I think there were agendas in place to dictate where obesity research should go and what the top priorities are. So that, in my opinion, is still Unclear. But do we think then this is what the UK should do? Should the UK go and classify obesity as a disease? Again, make sure to let me know what you think in the socials. But my opinion is that I'm not entirely convinced by either side of the argument. I don't really see how this classification could reduce stigma or, you know, a common argument is that it would motivate people to take ownership of their health. I don't see that, especially given that in the US it doesn't seem to have made a huge difference. But I also see that. Our view of obesity right now as a society is very misaligned to the science. I personally would like a pilot study or something, but don't ask me to design it because I would not know how that would work at all. And on that note, that is the end of today's episode. Our continuous changing perspectives on what disease is, is still something that we haven't really solidified. And the impact it's having on non-communicable diseases like obesity can be described as unclear at best. Anyway, remember next week, Dr. Giles Zio will be telling you about the complexity of obesity. And in particular, he'll be talking about how calories don't count. (gasps) Shocking, I know. Make sure to join us next week. Until then, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Go ahead and leave a review and rate us, hopefully, five stars on wherever you're listening from. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, TikTok, and head over to thegrowthmedium.com for more detailed information pieces. See you next week for another episode. Bye!